Hey there, it's Mike Lynn, and I'm with Nick Raboy. And today on the episode, we're talking with Dominic Wellington, who is the Director of Market Intelligence at MongoDB. And we're going to talk about an interesting topic. And we use the phrase citizen developer. So if you are somebody that is inclined to write some code, but it's not your full-time job, you might be interested in this episode. Dominic had a task at MongoDB. He had to develop and maintain a newsletter. And we talked to him about how he went, went about solving this challenge and how he leveraged MongoDB, the MongoDB platform, to do that. So if you are thinking about using MongoDB, maybe you're, you're not a full-time developer, but you, uh, you have a, a task that's going to require data storage and maybe a little bit of code writing, this will be an interesting episode for you. So stay tuned. The only constant in software is change. Software, data, and all things MongoDB. Welcome to the MongoDB podcast with your hosts, Michael Lynn and Nick Raboy. Welcome, Dominic. How are you doing today? Doing well, thanks. Surviving my second, well, we're now into the third month of quarantine. <laughs> awesome, man. Where, where are you located right now? Uh, in the north of Italy. So I'm just outside what was the original red zone for the lockdown, but it's literally across the river from us. So <laughs> we were the, the first into the second wave, let's say. Oof, that sounds uh, pretty brutal. Yeah, it was. But I mean, I'm used to working from home. This is my home office that we're talking yeah. from, but uh, I'm not used to working from home with the kids at home trying to be homeschooled and not being able to go out at all. That's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, it's it's great to have you on the podcast. I think um, I, uh, I I first read the, the the pitch, so to speak, about the the article that was coming out, and you referenced the term citizen developer, and I just love the combination of those two words and. Um, I guess before we before we get started, why don't you give the audience a, a little bit of background, if you could introduce yourself, let, let folks know who you are. Sure. So I do market intelligence at MongoDB. Uh, so I try to understand where our products fit into the market and into our customers' needs and desires. Uh, I joined uh, just under a year ago. Uh, I've been in the industry for two decades now, crazy as it seems. I've had a uh, Jobs at big companies, small companies, startups, and pretty much everything going. So for the for the folks just skipping into the into the podcast, this is Dominic Wellington, uh, director of market intelligence for MongoDB. It's great to have you on the on the podcast. Great to be here. I love the term citizen developer, and I I think it was really this project where I first saw it used. I, I hadn't used that that term in the past. I hadn't seen it in the past, and I just love the the concept of a citizen who's most likely not a developer com combined with the developer. So citizen developer and these two opposite ends of the spectrum. Tell me how you came upon that, that phrase. And I think you use that as a part of your, uh, the article that's coming out. I can't claim credit for that one myself. I didn't coin the term. I've seen it floating around a little in the last year or so in the zeitgeist. And it spoke to me precisely for that reason. You know, the, someone who's not, uh, a developer, they're just trying to get something done. So in my case, it was this uh, particular business need that I had. Uh, but I'm also starting to see it used uh, outside. Uh, so people taking open government data, that's starting to be a thing and doing something interesting with it. And uh, some of our colleagues at MongoDB have also been rolling out uh, 
interesting dashboards and visualizations based on open COVID data and the data from John Hopkins University. So there are all sorts of ways you can take that. But the specific way I was uh, taking it was the idea of someone who's not a developer, not a software engineer, perhaps even not formally trained uh, in in the industry, uh, but that is able through free tools and uh, how-tos and documentation to put together something that will scratch an itch that will satisfy needs that they have uh, without needing to hire someone, put together a team, uh, scope out uh, an entire project, etc. I found it really fascinating that you were uh, you were working in a marketing-specific role and there is a, a set of communications that comes out on a regular basis. And this was owned by somebody else. And I guess as you came on board, you you took over responsibility for that. And um, tell us a little bit about the the newsletter and how you came to become responsible for the distribution of the newsletter, what it contains, maybe talk a little bit about the the content. And this is really describing the, the problem space that really prompted you to get involved in writing and building a solution. Um, so yeah, as you said, uh, there's this newsletter uh, inside of MongoDB, as in most companies that marketing uses to tell the rest of the company what we've been up to, what cool events are going on, uh, what uh, new white papers we might have written, et cetera, et cetera. So the wider marketing organization uses this to communicate to the rest of the company internally. Uh, when MongoDB was a smaller company, uh, this was just a Google Doc that uh, a handful of people would go in and update, and anyone who was interested could go check that Google Doc. As the company grew and the marketing team grew, this turned into a whole clutch of Google Documents and an email that went out once a week saying, hey, you might want to check the Google Docs, but with no indication, you know, is there anything new in there? Is it relevant to me, etc.? Um, so that's when I came in. Uh, the big boss asked for volunteers to run this thing, and I didn't step back quickly enough. And so I got saddled with it. I took one look at it, and I spoke to some of the salespeople who were the intended audience for the newsletter, and I realized two things. Firstly, this is a whole lot of work uh, to maintain the system the way it is. And secondly, it's not fitting the needs of the audience, because people were getting this email in their inbox. And our friends in sales, they're, they're busy people. They don't have time to read all of their emails. They skim a lot. And so if they see an email that's just, hey, here's a link to some Google Docs, there may or may not be something useful in there, they're more likely to skip to the next email than to click through, even if there's good stuff at the, at the end of that link. And so that's when I started trying to figure out, okay, we need a different way of doing things. So I started looking around, do we have uh, some sort of off-the-shelf software or some open source package that I could either use or customize to do the job? And I couldn't find anything that quite fitted my needs. And then I thought, hey, this sounds like a, a software engineering problem. We're a software company. Maybe we can build something ourselves, but still not thinking in terms of doing it myself because I had that thought, I'm not a developer. I'm not a software engineer. And just before anyone you know, goes into my LinkedIn, I did graduate in computing science, but that was a long time ago, and I've never had a job as a coder. It's never been my job. I've been a sysadmin, which does involve a certain amount of coding, at least if you're doing it right, but never a programmer as such. So I went looking. I tried to persuade various people 
to to build this thing for me and saying, hey, this would be a great exercise and we could then write blogs about it and you could go do podcast interviews and tell everyone about the amazing MongoDB technologies you used. And I completely failed to get anyone's interest. <laughs> and then over the, the holidays, over the Christmas break, I had some free time and I thought, why not just try? Uh, let's see if I could whip something up, the, the classic minimum viable product, how hard could it be? Famous last words, right? But it turned out it's actually not that hard. Uh, and there's a lot of tech that's just lying around out there. And you can join it up with, you know, a certain amount of effort. But I was able to put together my minimum viable products that, that did most of what I thought I needed. So what kind of functionality did your application require um, in order to be better than the, the bunch of Google documents that were floating around and uh, creating content that these sales people actually needed? Right. So the first thing that we needed was to put the meat, the content in the actual newsletter. There couldn't be this thing that people would read the newsletter and click on a link just to figure out if there was anything going on. They had to be told up front. Here's the thing. If you're interested, then you can click through and get more detail. So that was step one. I also didn't want whatever this thing was to become a destination in its own right. We have enough of those, like most companies. We have wikis coming out of our ears. I, I didn't want yet another thing that people had to check. Uh, so I wanted just only ever to be a pointer to things that lived elsewhere, whether that was on an internal wiki or internal site or an external website or YouTube link or what have you. And I wanted it to be very curated, uh, even opinionated, as to what's actually relevant to put in people's faces, put in their inbox, versus what might be interesting, and we just put on a website that they can click through a read more link. That's great. So we've, we've pretty much defined the problem space, and this is a, a challenge that I'm sure many people are facing. So creating a newsletter, sort of an, a news aggregator that, that'll be used internally. Um, <clears throat> The, the other challenges are around, you know, providing relevant content to, to folks that don't have a ton of time. Um, so where did you begin? You know, you've, you've gotten, gone through the problem set and you've decided that you, you're going to take responsibility for this. And where, how, at what point do you start to decide that MongoDB as a platform is the right space? Apart from the fact that you work at MongoDB, yeah. I mean, what, <laughs> what, uh, what led you to uh, MongoDB platform as the solution? So I didn't start from the database. Uh, that's a classic technological fallacy that you start with the tools you have at hand. Uh, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Uh, so the first thing that I built was the user interface. I mocked up a static web page uh, of what I wanted this to look like from the point of view of a busy salesperson. Uh, and I have had one of my Oh, several, actually, several times in my career, I've had a role which uh, included sales. So I had some insight into what their world looks like. And so I wanted something that when I was in sales, I would have found useful. So I had that, that insight already. Um, once I built that, then I started looking around for, okay, how can I build the brains that go behind this thing? Uh, and that's when I started looking at bits and pieces of the MongoDB stack, both the database itself uh, but also Stitch, the, the serverless application platform, which gave me a useful place to host my code 
uh, that was uh, very tightly wired into the database and would save me a whole lot of effort and trouble making those two pieces, the app logic and the data, talk to each other. Yeah, no, that sounds great. So Stitch uh, is, as of now, called Realm, right? Um, just so that way our listeners can uh, get an idea of what, what, what exactly that is later on. <laughs> We're right in the middle of that naming transition, so I'm never sure which name to use in public. But yeah, Stitch, as you knew it, is now Realm. Same goodness underneath. Just just wanted to clear it up for anyone who's listening. Um, so when it comes, let's I guess maybe let's start with uh, Realm and, and what your involvement is in that for this particular product that you were working on. Can you can you give that kind of background? Uh, sure. So and the. Stitch as was, Realm as is, uh, it lets you write JavaScript's code and host it uh, conveniently in as part of the MongoDB Atlas, uh, MongoDB Cloud wider platform. And it speaks to the, the Atlas database, has a whole bunch of, uh, of connections there. It also lets you uh, do things like functions, uh, which you can call from, uh, from anywhere and triggers which will be executed when there are changes in the data. So were you, um, I mean, you said you started with the static the static website. Were you primarily using Realm for, for the static hosting or did you start to integrate uh, stuff later or did it all come at once? I don't know, this was even before that. So I wrote a static web page in old school HTML because just like we used to do it last century, right? I opened up a text editor and started typing angle brackets. Then I started putting some JavaScript in there to start doing something. And then I realized, hey, we have a pretty good JavaScript platform in-house. Why don't I just use that? Uh, so it was a pretty natural process in that way. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just trying to figure out your thought process behind all of this. That's that's why I'm, I'm, I'm poking and pulling here. <laughs> yeah, quite right. Now, the interesting part to me was actually the, the database end because this was my first time doing anything with a non-relational database in anger, let's say. Uh, so all of your instincts are wrong when you're making that transition. I said, think in terms of I'll have this table and I have that table. And when I need to do something, I'll make requests across them. And several times over the, the initial phases of the project, I had to sort of stop and sit myself down and say, no, 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 that, that's not how, how we do things. The document model in MongoDB exists for a reason. I can use that uh, in a different way. But... You know, it takes a moment to get yourself into that uh, that mind space the first time you're doing a project. So, how long did it take you from concept to uh, to something up and running? I mean, I wasn't working on this full time, right? It's not my job, so I, I was taking an hour here and a couple of hours there. Uh, it was probably a month end to end, but it was very much not a full time month. It was a handful of days if you smoosh them all together. Right. And that's including the fact that you haven't worked in this particular suite or, or stack before, right? Exactly. Exactly. That, that was one of the things that persuaded me that this was doable because I got so much done in the first couple of days. Then later on in the project, I was regretting that. But <laughs> I think that's... <laughs> so then you you thought about the stack, you moved, you leaned heavily into the MongoDB platform, you're leveraging Realm, what used to be Stitch. And then you start thinking about the data model. Tell us about how you uh, started working in a, in a NoSQL or a document-oriented way with the data. Right. 
So one of the great things at uh, MongoDB, and this is going to sound like a sales pitch, but it really isn't, is the MongoDB University. Uh, and this is the same thing that external users get, but it's also what we use internally for onboarding and training. And it's uh, it's just fantastic. So when I was when I joined MongoDB, I spent uh, six weeks or so as deeply immersed in that thing, going through different aspects uh, of our product. And when I started using the tools in Anger, I went back to that and revisited uh, all of those uh, you know data design courses and some of my notes and materials. Uh, from there. And I could not, uh, yeah, I cannot emphasize enough how good those materials are in the pacing and the level of detail, etc. And the other resource that I used was uh, just the product docs, the straight up uh, docs.mongodb.com. But again, it's so detailed and there are worked examples of everything, every single little thing. There's at least one, usually several different examples of here's how you would use this in practice. Uh, and so, yeah, a huge amount of copying and pasting, as is tradition. <laughs> and I was able to to put together a document design that didn't violate any of the the constraints and some code that uh, that worked and get something uh, up and running. Yeah, I, I want to further reiterate that uh, the MongoDB University is fantastic, um, and it and like uh, Dominic said, it is free. You can just go to university.mongodb.com and uh, enroll in any of the same classes that our own internal staff have enrolled in uh, when they got hired. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm a graduate of university.mongodb.com. <laughs> so what other, what other areas of the product platform are you making use of as a part of the solution? Well, so once I had a document design that made sense, I started working and coding. And then I realized that I had to make changes to my document design. And because I was used to relational databases, I had, I had this oh no moment. And then I realized, wait, doesn't matter. I can just go make changes. And so I did. I added sub documents and nested arrays and all sorts of things, just as I needed them, as I realized the need uh, to store additional types of data. Uh, so for instance, one of the things I had initially in my initial design, I just had a Boolean for published, published true, false. And then later I realized, no, wait a minute, I want to distinguish. Did this particular news item, did that go to the email? Did I put it in the salespeople's inbox? Or was that something I put behind the read more link? It went to the website, but it did not go to the email. So I started doing things like that. I also started uh, getting ambitious with how I was accessing the data. The initial version was just a straight up find. Uh, but then I built things like aggregation pipelines. Um, because I didn't actually have any definition of a newsletter issue. Each newsletter item is its own document. The way you define an issue is all of the news items that have the same publication date. So I had a, a very simple aggregation pipeline to do that. But again, it gave me an insight into the power of these things when they're used uh, properly. Hmm. So the, the power is not only in the simplicity of the document model out of the gate, but when you think about it in terms of iteration over time, uh, your your job becomes so much easier as well. I love that. Exactly. And especially when I rolled the thing out and let people actually use it, they came up with all sorts, um, as is predictable, all sorts of different ways to use it that were not the ways I thought people would be using it. And then I had to go back and make changes and had enhancement requests and all of these real programmer things and that uh, <laughs> not allowed for. But the simplicity and flexibility allowed me to deal with that. 
So the uh, MongoDB uh, organization isn't too large. Uh, so I don't, I don't necessarily know the demand on this particular product that you built. Um, but did you have to take any kind of uh, performance considerations uh, during the design? Um, maybe through indexes or how you modeled uh, your queries, things like that? I didn't have to get into too much uh, query modeling, but I did put indexes uh, on a couple of obvious things like that publication date field, because I use that in various different places. Um, in the future, I may add some things around uh, the full text search uh, or the text search that we have uh, so that you could search on the tags, uh, that sort of thing. But uh, no, I used uh, a couple of indexes. Um, I used uh, the secrets in Stitch, just the built-in secrets, because I do have an external API that I need to call, and that has an API key. And I didn't just want to leave the API key lying around in the clear. But again, it was a couple of clicks in the GUI, and then I could just refer to, to my secrets in the code and protect that, that API key. Was this API key for actually sending the emails, or was this for something else? Yeah, I'm using a third-party email service, uh, MailChimp. And uh, so that, that needed its own API key. And it's simple enough. It's a RESTful API. Um, so it's, it, wasn't, it didn't add any complexity to the project uh, once I'd figured out you know, the precise sequence of things that it wanted. But it was nice to be able to do that with a secret. Google sign-on was even easier. That's uh, literally a checkbox in, uh, in Atlas. But since it's an internal newsletter, that let me restrict it to people with the right email domain. Uh, so sorry if you're not a mongodb.com uh, internal user, then you won't be able to see the fruits of my development. So so speaking of um, other folks getting access to this, is there a way that, that um, people listening to the podcast can see the work that you've done? Is this available on a repo somewhere? I did upload the codes to my private repo. Uh, so by all means, go and, uh, and find that on GitHub. Um, and then, you know, laugh at my <laughs> novice mistakes. <laughs> Uh, oh, my, that's the great thing about open source. You could you could maybe uh, get some issues or pull requests from folks folks out there in the uh, uh, in the community. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, bearing in mind, as I say, this it's uh, pretty tightly scoped to this particular use case and has various assumptions baked in. But there may be something in there that someone else starting out would find useful. Well, I mean, the use case would be uh, getting getting information in front of sales, right? Oh, exactly. Uh, so the use case itself is is widely applicable, I would imagine. You've got you've got a document model which includes uh, the concept of of documents or um, maybe articles in a in a in a blog, and uh, those are aggregated into an issue. So yeah, I think it would be pretty widely applicable. Yeah, and uh, also uh, there's also a two tier model for the administration side. So someone from the marketing team can come in and thanks to the Google sign-on, I can then assign that, that person the permission to submit new articles and there's a UI for that. But there's also a whole separate admin UI where I or a handful of other people can go in and see the articles that have been submitted in the queue and decide, does this go to email? Does it go to, to the website only? Do I need to edit it before it goes live? Uh, or am I just going to delete it? And no, sorry, that's never going to be published. Uh, so there's a, a little bit of behind the scenes functionality that might be interesting, yeah. So what would you say uh, throughout this whole process was the most difficult for you uh, when it comes to getting this application up, up and running? 
from a personal experience. I mean, you're coming from a non, not necessarily a developer world, uh, which is going to be a lot of similarity to a lot of a lot of people using MongoDB. Um, so, where where did you struggle the most, and how did you how did you get beyond that? So there were a few different places uh, where I struggled for very different reasons. Um, one was when I started moving outside of the MongoDB stack, I had trouble finding documentation. And so another plug for the MongoDB docs team, they do fantastic work. Uh, and I was very, very reliant uh, on what they did. And I missed it when I had to deal with um, other products, other APIs that didn't, that didn't have the same level of depth. Um, so that was one thing. Um, I also, I tried to keep things simple as much as possible. So I didn't use any fancy JavaScript frameworks. It's just straight up classic JavaScript. Um, same thing on the style, on the styling side, it's just straight CSS and none of the, the overlays because I wanted to keep things simple enough that I could reason about it. Um, the, I forget who it was who said, but you should write code that is uh, not as clever as you can possibly write it because debugging is harder than writing the codes in the first place. So if you write the most clever code that you possibly can, you won't be able to debug it yourself. So with that in mind, I tried to KISS, right? Um, and keep things very, very simple. But even so, I did find a few points where things were just going through multi-step processes and breaking somewhere in the middle and reasoning about that. Uh, I had to blow off some dust from some old reflexes, a whole lot of print statements, a whole lot of time spent in the console. Um, but eventually I got there. But I will say there were some moments where I'm not sure I could have got through it myself, but I had other people uh, who I could go and just either bounce questions off in the expectation of getting actual answers or simply vent at. And uh, in the process of verbalizing my frustration, my difficulty, I would often you know, get halfway through and go, oh, no, wait a minute, I figured this out and go away again. <laughs> and that was probably very annoying, but it was helpful. That's great. So will we, will we be finding additional projects coming out of the, the Wellington camp? Um, well, I've now got another developer experience. Uh, <laughs> I've been handed someone else's projects to maintain. So, I d Tell I don't us know. about it. Yeah. Some of you may already be familiar with this one because it's been sort of kind of public. Uh, but there's this website, isdocumentdbreallymongodb.com, which uh, looks at uh, how some MongoDB-compatible systems uh fair when they're exposed to our test suite that we use against Atlas. And so that now needs to be updated for the upcoming release of MongoDB and just generally maintained and overhauled. So I'm going to dive into that and uh, see how I do. That's great. So um, is DocumentDB really MongoDB? Dot com. Um, yeah, it's a kind of a long URL. Dot com. <laughs> okay. And that's, that's DocumentDB is a product by another company um, and it, it, is an approximation of MongoDB. It offers a lot of the same functionality, but um, but not quite a hundred percent. So yeah, that's that'll be interesting to see. I'll look forward to to checking that out. Is there any um, last minute words of wisdom that you want to share, Dominic, um, with with the listeners of this podcast? Anything that you think would be helpful? Uh, the main thing I would say is just to loop back to what we were saying at the beginning. Uh, one of the reasons I was reluctant to just dive into this was because I had that imposter syndrome. I'm not a developer. I'm not sure I'll be able to do this. And 
I think there are a lot of people out there who might have that same doubt. But when you compare the level of complexity I was dealing with to the level of complexity of some spreadsheets and things like that, as I've seen, there isn't a huge amount of difference. Uh, I think plenty of people with a basic idea of what they want to achieve, exposed to free tools like our university and detailed docs, would be able to do something equivalent for their own use case. And I think that's going to be a really interesting transition, uh, especially in this uh, this current time, as we were saying at the beginning, I'm under lockdown, I have been for quite some time. Um, people might have new ideas of uh, what they want to do, how they want to do it uh, in a world where they can't just walk over to somebody's desk and knock on their shoulder. And that might uh, give people this new idea. There are also just free tools out there. Uh, all of what I wrote fits in the free tier of both the database and the uh, the Realm serverless environment. So this isn't something that you have to open your wallets to, to be able to do. You can get stuff and running, and then if it scales, if it takes off, then you can figure out, you know, uh, I'm going to need to support more users, I need more space, I need whatever. But to get started, free forever, just supply your email address, off you go. Wait a minute, are you telling me that that this project is running in production on a completely free instance? I have a very small number of users and I'm only supporting text. So yes. Uh, Outstanding. That's great. Free forever. We love that. Awesome. So my favorite price. <laughs> well, Dominic, I want to thank you for joining us on the podcast. This has been a fascinating episode. And and as I mentioned, I love the the concept of citizen developer. I think you should be applauded for, uh, for, for taking, the, taking the initiative and leveraging the tools at hand and, and showing people that you don't have to be a massive full-time developer uh, to get things done with the MongoDB platform. So congratulations on that. Is there anything uh, you want to tell the folks before we wrap this up? Um, no, I think uh, we've said everything. But if anyone has some further thoughts or wants to find me on the internet, I'm at dwellington on Twitter. Yes, highly creative. Uh, and my personal blog is at findthethreads.blog uh, because you often have to squint quite a bit to find the threads between the different entries. Anything from you, Nick, before we close it out? No, it was great to have you on the show, Dominic. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much.